This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. All right, we are here with Nicholas Tomlinson. He is Mark Cassie's assistant in the uh, South Florida Division, the, the far-flung Mark Cassie stable. Uh, welcome to the show, Nicholas. Thanks for having me on, Chuck. You know, I really thought that everybody's sick of hearing from Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown, and they don't really say anything interesting anyway. So the idea is for Fridays to, to uh, introduce new people um, and younger people that you might see on the TV screen all the time, but you don't ever actually hear from them. And Nicholas is someone who's been in the winter circle a lot lately. Is the, the Cassie Barn has done very, very well in, in South Florida this year. And I thought uh, he'd be a, a good guest to have for our first edition. And we haven't even named the segment yet, but uh, the young guys for, for today. Um, Nicholas, where are you originally from? Uh, originally, I'm from Brampton, Ontario, Canada, which is just outside of Toronto. It's about 45 minutes away, but that's where I, that's where I grew up as a kid. How did you get into racing? My dad's actually a, a groom, and he works in the starting gate in the afternoon. Uh, my parents split up when I was very young, and uh, as anybody that works in the racetrack knows, it's seven days a week. It's long hours, so whenever I went to go spend time with my dad, it was at the racetrack, and once you catch the bug, it's kind of hard to get out of you, so... I just caught the bug and went on from there. Where was your first job at the track? What did you do? Uh, I was a hot walker for Peter Berenger. And, uh, that was at Woodbine? I was at Woodbine, yeah. And originally how it started was after the barn fire at Woodbine, security got really tight and uh, you had to sign guests in. So to avoid all that, uh, my dad was actually working for Peter at the time and we had to, uh, he got me a license, at, I think it was like 13. And I started working for Peter on the weekends and summers, and that's basically how it took off. Probably being tall doesn't hurt either. When I, when I was a kid, I, I was always tall, so people thought you were older than you are. If you haven't seen Nicholas, he's, he, he and I are, are rarities on the backside. <laughs> is that we're, we're people over six feet tall. This is the land of the little people. So, so uh, when did you know that you wanted to make racing your career, not just a job? Uh, that's a good question, actually. My dad told me stories about when I was young. He, I'd, he'd be in the stall doing up a horse, and I'd, he'd look to do, to do the bandage, and then he'd look back, and I'd be gone, and I'd be in the stall playing with another horse. So I guess you could say from a young age, but really probably started in grade 8. Uh, they were asking what you wanted to do for a living, and I mean, I, I kind of knew right away, but I was scared to breach the subject with my parents just because they didn't really want me to, not that they didn't want me to be in racing, but it was, it's a hard industry and they wanted the best life for me. And, uh, but I was skipping school to go to the track and you know, I was watching races on my phone when I could. So uh, yeah, I guess I would say grade eight was probably the, the major year, but I mean, I've always wanted to do it all my life. It's just, I tried to find different venues to pursue at first. When did you first hook up uh, with Mark uh, this stable? 
Ooh, uh, it's actually that's actually a funny story too. But I was at, I was doing all the traveling for Malcolm Pierce up at Woodbine, and I happened to go to Keeneland, and I met Mark. I walked up to him and I asked him if he needed an assistant, and we exchanged numbers, and everything went from there. So that was about five years ago. So that's uh, five or six years ago. So about 2014, 2015. So you were twenty twenty one years old. Yeah, I was twenty one years old, and. Uh, yeah, I helped Malcolm out. I came down here, set up for him while his wife was on vacation. Then I went to go work for Mark in December of 2015. So yeah. M- Malcolm's retired, right? Malcolm is retired now, yes. He got out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he yeah. got out while getting was good, right? Well, Malcolm was, you know, he wasn't, he, he was doing well, but not as well as he wanted to be. And, you know, I think he saw the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, he wanted to go and enjoy his life, and so you know you can't wish him nothing but the best. They were they were amazing people to me, and I mean we still keep in touch to this day, so it's great. So where did uh, where did you start with Mark? Um... I started with Mark in Ocala for about four months. That was terrible, <laughs> but um, <laughs> after that I got to actually we opened up a, the string in Gulfstream, and that's where I went with uh, Jamie Begg, our other assistant, and then. One of our assistants had to go back to her home country for, uh, I believe it was for a visa or, or something happened, and um, that's when I kind of got to work with Norman, and everything kind of took off from there. When um, you you spent some time in Kentucky too, right? Yeah, uh, like I said, twenty sixteen, I believe it was. I went there with Norman for the fall meet uh, for Keeneland and Churchill's fall meet, and then. I stayed here the year after, and then the year after that, I went back to Kentucky. Uh, when did Mark first hand you over the reins to your own division? When did you start? The, when did you start that? The twenty seventeen in the summertime, we had opened up a division in New York as well, and the assistant that was here, Jamie Bag, went up there, and that's when he needed an assistant here. So I stayed down here for the summer, and uh, I did that for all year. Tell me a little bit about working for Mark being that uh, I mean Malcolm Pierce obviously has a a far smaller outfit than Mark and Mark with all the divisions all over the place Woodbine, New York, Kentucky down here Um, what's what was the biggest uh, the biggest difference what you know tell me what what, what's your feeling on on working for an outfit where you have so many horses and and I know you guys ship a lot of horses in and out and um, just give me your feelings about about uh, working for such a big a big outfit well, I think that there's pros and cons to, to any outfit that you work in. Obviously, with Malcolm, it was smaller, so you got to be around all the horses all the time, whereas when you're working for Mark, they're they're here, and then they, they get pulled, and they go different places, and then they come back to you. So uh, it definitely has its pros and cons. I mean, you'd get attached to horses, and when they leave, it's sad to see them go, but... Um, I mean, working for Mark, I don't think you could work for anybody better. I mean, he's he's a great person to work for. And, uh, you, you know, you think that when you have the worst news in the world for him, that he's going to, you know, you kind of feel down about it. You might take it the wrong way, but he's a very uplifting person, and he's always there for you. And, I mean, so, yeah, with the horses shipping in and out, it's, it's tough, but um, it, it works for us. And that's what works for Mark, and that's how he's very successful. He's able to move horses to different places, so... For him, it works. Personally, it's it's a bit... Do I like it? I do and I don't, but, you know, you kind of have to work with it and go from there. That's true. 
it, it's funny, a couple of weeks ago, I showed you, a, you know, Mark has been around forever, but he's really not that old. You would think as long as he's been around, that he might be 70 years old, but uh, we had, I had found a, a, a Saratoga program from, what was it, 1985 or 1984, that, that Mark had a horse in it, and he remembered the horse. Oh, yeah, he's got a great memory. I hope, Hopefully when I get to his age, I'll have a great memory as well, but it's not looking too good. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he, he remembered the horse, and he even remembered how good he was too. So, you know, he definitely remembers the... The, the old days and that's probably easier to remember the good ones you try to put the bad ones out of your mind <laughs> yeah for sure I can barely remember a single horse I trained and that was only a couple <laughs> years ago <laughs> but um so tell me about the, the the differences um in the winter time for you down here versus the summertime or, or is there really not much of a difference oh there's a huge difference um definitely in the winter time we're a lot more busier obviously Gulfstream runs five days a week um but we also have horses shipping in and out. We, uh, we run horses off of our training center. We also run horses from here at Palm Meadows. So um, it's, it's definitely a lot more hectic. It's a lot more busy in the wintertime. Whereas the summertime, we have, where our main focus here is to basically get the babies ready, get a start into them, and then ship them off to wherever it is they need to be. Um, right now, we, are at, we, we range in between 20 and 25 horses. And, I mean, it's right now it's kind of like a vacation but in the winter time you know we have 30 40 horses and um like i said they're they're in and out constantly so it's uh yeah it's a lot more harder in the winter than it is in the summertime who was um who was the big name that you had here this winter any of the really the the, the recognizable names oh uh, yeah i had a few we had uh war of will sir winston got stormy i mean we had a. Uh, we had the creme de la creme here this winter. It was it was a fun winter for sure. So so clearly Mark's not afraid to send his best horses to you, which certainly is a feather in your cap. Yeah, I mean it's it's great when somebody like Mark can install confidence in you, and uh, you know we have a great facility here at Palm Meadows, so it's uh, it's kind of easier to do that. So we also have a great team, so it's it's a lot that goes into it, and we all work hard, so it's nice when when you're able to get good horses. Tell me about yourself in your philosophy about um i know like how i i don't want to get too far in depth into what you guys do but um just kind of your philosophy about uh, training what you've learned since you've you've you know i learned every year i trained um every year there was always something new that that, that i picked up and and honestly coming to south florida I, I had to do things differently because of the climate, and um, like we would warm the horses a little more. It's kind of a technical thing that nobody gives a shit about, but you know, I found that because the bugs never really die here, the the um, you know we never get to freezing, we never get to where it's it's really cold. Things are just a little bit different, and the, the track surfaces certainly in the summertime, uh, it's, it gets hard to keep water on them. So just what has been kind of in in your genesis as a trainer what, what's been uh, something that you've really kind of um changed your mind on or you know it, it's been something that uh you've evolved in in your own process of training well i i can't really say it's it's from being down here it's just more from from working with mark and for mark mark's changed my mind on a, on a lot of things and 
you know, there's times where I've sat there and thought, this man's absolutely crazy. But, you know, then you sit back and look and it works and it's like, wow, like he was actually right. And uh, Is there an example? You don't have to give a horse's name, but, but you could, can you give an example of, of what he, what you thought wouldn't work that, that actually did work? Uh, perfect example. Like, Mark's not a big believer in, in overtraining a horse. And although our, our works do tend to be a lot fast, uh, faster than, than some other trainers, but, you know, he's not afraid to give a horse a walk day or train them five days a week or, or whatever it is. And, you know, there's times where you're going into a race thinking, I we absolutely have no shot. Like, what are we thinking of doing this for? And then they go over and the horse runs great. And, and Mark's just will turn to you and say, but sometimes you just need to try. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of, of horses that I've had here where I'm just like, Mark, this horse isn't doing good. You know, we really shouldn't run it. We really blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden we get down to Gulfstream and they run lights out. And, you know, sometimes you just need to try. And not doing good in the sense where it's just like, it's just not showing that it's very enthusiastic about training. Maybe it's a two-year-old that just doesn't really know or, or something like that. And, you know, they go over there and they run really well. And I mean, for the heat here, you know, in the summertime, you try to do a lot less with them. Instead of galloping them a mile and a half every day, maybe you gallop them a mile, maybe you jog them, you know, maybe you give them a walk day every here and there just because it is so hot here. And, you know, Mark, uh, Mark's really opened up my eyes to that. There's not really one way to train a racehorse. There's a bunch of ways. You just have to listen to them. Right. And that's, that's true words can never be spoken. There's, there's no right or wrong. I will, there, there might be a wrong in some ways, but but uh, the successful trainers have done things in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, I work for for Alan Jerkins, for Nick Zito, for Tom Skiffington, for Pete Ferriola, and they were all extremely successful trainers, and they all did things totally different. I mean, absolutely totally different. And uh, it showed me that, you know, you have to really kind of, and I know it's so it's like the most cliche thing in the world, but you have to treat the horses as individuals because some horses really can't take the training, and other horses can take can take a lot of training. And uh, I think that's even more pertinent now than ever because there seems like there's a lot more that can't take the training, um, unlike it was even even when I started, which seems like the dark ages. It was only twenty years ago, a little over twenty years ago, and we can't. You don't see people training horses nearly as hard as, as they used to, with with very few exceptions. But and even racing horses, I went on Apple Base and I looked at. They have that feature now where you can basically um, see any horse that ran in a particular year. And and I ran a lot of horses back in the beginning of my career on ten days rest, on two weeks rest, and now, I mean, it's hard to find races for them. That, that are that that close together um speaking of so when you guys are looking to enter horses how much input do you have um versus i mean are do you guys kind of come to a consensus on a spot or does he have a an, an idea of where you're going when he when he sends a horse well basically we have to just sit down and look at the condition book and see what's out there and what's available um you know, we basically pick our spot, point to it, and if the horse is telling us, yes, it's ready to go, or no, it's not, then we'll decide then. You know, sometimes, you know, we're not 
afraid to give a horse a race. You know, say it's a first time starter and it really just needs to run for the experience. You know, we'll we'll take it over there and run it, knowing that you know we're probably not going to win, but we know that the experience is going to help them out more than anything. So, Mark and I, like I said, we we get together, we we pick our spots and. And uh, we see how the horse is training and going into it, and we'll go from there. As an assistant trainer, what is the most difficult part of your job? Um, I, I know that a lot of people complain about the condition book, uh, which is, you know, pretty universal. Um, the help, um, the rules. What, what for you is, is the thing that uh, drives you crazy the most? I definitely think that finding good help is is few and far between. I mean, I think for every one good person that you find, there's about ten bad ones right behind it. So trying to 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 come up with a crew and and have a good crew at that, it's very difficult. And you're you're trying to have the best interests in your horses, and when you're trying to delegate stuff and 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 tell them why, you know, you're trying to do things, and they kind of you know, brush you off. I think that's probably one of the most difficult things just because you're trying to help them, you're trying to help the horses, you're trying to teach them, but at the same time, they're a little bit reluctant to do it. So it's, I'd definitely say probably the help is, uh, is the, the hardest thing to come by. Well, actually, before I got my own string, our general manager, Mitch Downs up in Ocala, told me that this game is uh, 20% horses, 80% people, and I laughed in his face, and I said, there's no way, and he said, just looked at me and said, oh, don't worry, you'll see, and sure enough, the people probably make it the hardest, uh, the horses are the easy part. Yeah, that's always kind of been the case. Um, being an assistant trainer, how much do you have to work with owners? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I I'm around every day, and, and I don't see too many visitors over here, um, but, um, and especially with the, uh, you know, last few months with the coronavirus and, and all that, how it's impacted us, um, how much, uh, time do you have to spend, uh, with the owners? Do you, do you have, uh, you know, spend time with them at the races? Well, actually, that's the one, that's one of the many great things about working for Mark is basically if you have dreams of going on your own, I would recommend working for Mark working yeah working for Mark to anybody just because he gives you an experience of, of a lifetime I'm able to, to talk with owners and and farm managers and all that kind of stuff and and Mark doesn't feel any type of way about it he encourages it and so in the winter time we definitely have a lot more visitors than we would in the summertime uh, just because a lot of our business has traveled north in the summertime but in the winter time yeah I mean we have to report to the farm managers like uh, Chiefswood has, has Rob Landry uh, Live Oak, I keep in touch with, with Joe up there, and, um, you know, this winter, Mr. Masterson had a filly here, and uh, he was partners on it with a couple other people, they would come and watch her work, so, uh, definitely more in the summertime than, sorry, more in the wintertime than the summertime, but we do have to interact with our owners quite a bit. Is there one horse that you feel, um, you know, sometimes people, it's funny, people talk about your favorite horse and, and everybody always assumes it's your best horse, but is there any horse you have a, a particular, uh, uh, took a liking to or, or maybe a, a horse that uh, kind of overachieved or, or you saw, you know, something that, that uh, 
they 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 um, really progressed a lot further, and everyone gave them credit for. Is there anyone that you've trained the last couple of years that that uh, you you particularly have a an interest in? March to the Arch, by far, hands down. I and mean, that horse is like my son. I mean, he's <laughs> when he came in, you should have seen the comments. I mean, it wasn't pretty. It was. You know, hasn't shown a lot. He really, really hasn't shown a lot. He's very slow, and I just remember I Mark was kind of in a rush to 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 breeze him on the grass. He said he's got one shot, and if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't breeze well, he's gonna be retired and be given away for a riding horse. And we had to buy some time just because he, he kind of needed to get used to the surroundings here, and we kind of needed to work with him a little bit. And if you know the horse, he's just a big playful horse. You know, there's nothing. He doesn't do anything mean. He's just playful, and uh, you know we kind of really have to figure him out. And just by the the grace of God and Mother Nature, we had a lot of rain that week, and for sure when we got him on the grass, he really showed us that he could he could run well or he could breeze well, and and, and was actually a decent horse. And uh, I remember telling Mark all the time, this horse this horse can run. And his first race, it, it didn't pan out. Even Johnny came back and was like, this horse just has absolutely no idea. <laughs> but you could definitely see the difference in him after that. I think we ran him back like two weeks later. And, I mean, he broke his maiden and he's gone on to win stakes. And, I mean, he's, he's a, excuse my language, he's a, little, he's a little shit. But, I mean, God, I love that horse. So, yeah, definitely him. Yeah, there's always, there's always those types, you know, that kind of jump up and, you know, you, you see something in them that, that everyone else doesn't see. And every once in a while, you know, you'll think that about one and they won't pan out. And then you just feel stupid. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I remember when Kelly Kip came in, he was by, he was about 15 hands. He was by a stallion that no one had ever heard of. And uh, he was the last one that came off the van. And, and all the grooms had, had run out to, to grab their... Your choice and, and no one wanted to rub him no one wanted to be his groom and we didn't even have a stall for him and I had to borrow a stall from Rusty Arnold and it was actually a pony stall so what they had done was they had taken a, a regular stall and cut it in half and the ponies would, would you know live on each side of it and thankfully he fit in there and and we had this um, this old groom um, this old uh, black guy named Mackie and Mackie was drunk way more than he was sober, but that was, you know, Alan would always, he'd always have them guys around because he said, well, who else is going to give him a job? So Mackie came over to me and he said, I'll rub that horse, I'll rub the hair off that horse. So, so Mackie uh, started rubbing him and as it turns out, he wound up uh, breaking the track record, his first start in a maiden claiming race. And, and the, the, the interesting thing about that was... Uh, it was actually a maiden forty, and he took the weight. He put it. He put the horse in for thirty-five. So, no one was expecting that. I mean, I thought we, he had a good chance of winning the race, but he, he wound up breaking Laura's track record by almost a second, and then winning all kinds of. He wound up with five track records, and I mean, he was by a, a sire that really never sired anything else, Kipper Kelly, and. Um, you just never knows, you know. Sometimes the, the big. Good-looking ones they spend a lot of money on come in and and uh, you know everybody pays attention to those ones but they don't always turn out to be the the best horses and and like I said you know sometimes you you're attack get attached more to the the underachievers you know the ones that, that didn't have much expectation than the ones that did 
Um, now you've been doing this for five years. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know someday you want to maybe venture off on your own. And um, let me ask you this. Do you think you'd be interested in staying in Florida or, or would you ever want to go back home to, uh, to Canada? Well, that's a good question, actually. Um, I would prefer to, to start my career in America. Um, if I really had a choice, I'd probably want to do either Florida or probably even New Jersey. But, I mean, when you start off, you kind of have to see what kind of horses and what kind of owners you're going to get and where they want you to be. But, I mean, as a trainer, you before you set out on your own, I think you have goals for yourself. And just being Canadian, I would love to win the Queen's Plate one day. So I know that, you know, that's for some others, it's probably not that significant other than the purse. But for me, it, it's something special. And, and I would love to win the Canadian Triple Crown. And um, so would I want to go back home? Of course I'd want to go back home. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind also having horses up there right now I mean the purses are unbelievable so I mean you know that's a that's a big uh, upswing there but I definitely would like to stay in America and, and and start my career here and see where things go but I mean there are races up in Canada that I would love to win as a trainer so yeah definitely Woodbine would be uh, in the future for me as well as at least I hope it would be. Have you ever been to Fort Erie? I have actually. I won my first race as a groom in Fort Erie. That was Fort Erie, yeah, really. Fort Erie, five thousand dollar claimer. The horse's name was uh, Oro Como. So yeah, that was your first one. Who, who, who was the first? You remember your first winner as an assistant on your own? Oh, that's, uh, yes, it was. It was Snicker. Actually. Snicker, Snicker. Yeah, Norman had just left about two weeks before that, and I think I called him every day just to kind of <laughs> make sure I was doing things right, and uh, it was Snicker. Yeah. Well. I, I mean, I haven't spent much time around your barn, but other than we've been selling you shavings here for about a year, and you, you do a, an excellent job. The barn always looks immaculate. You keep track of everything. Your horses look good on the track. Your, your help seems, at least they seem in control, uh, unlike some other outfits. But, uh, you know, you do, you do an excellent job, and, and certainly the results have, have, uh, have manifested themselves out on the racetrack. And, and if Mark Cassie is confident enough in your abilities to give you a, a division that what were you 23 24 years old that certainly says a lot about uh, a lot about him and a lot about you though because uh, a lot of young guys when they're that age they're just trying to figure out what they want to do where they want to go they might have just got out of college or something and they, they have no experience and you know here you are 26 years old and you're, you're already uh, an experienced assistant trainer who's worked with some of the best horses in the country and uh, working for one of the top outfits in the country, a, a Hall of Famer now. Uh, it was kind of sucked that uh, uh, the whole ceremony thing got canceled this year because of the stupid virus. But uh, I think that uh, to me, I, I, you were a natural person to, to be the first uh, on this Friday podcast to be uh, kind of featured as one of the... Um, the new uh, up-and-coming faces of the game, and uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you giving me almost a half hour out of your time on this hot day. <laughs> Oddly enough, Thursday is now a dark day here, but uh, I think that's a name that people are going to see. Uh, Nicholas Tomlinson, no relation to Mike. Mike's the redneck Tomlinson. 
This is the Canadian Tomlinson. <laughs> well, I, you know, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, you know, I also appreciate Mark for giving me the the opportunity and, and seeing something in me. I mean, these are our, these are things that you work for in life and that you dream about, but you never expect to get. And waking up and doing what you love every day—it's a dream come true. So, I, I appreciate you having me on, and anything I can ever do for you, just let me know. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicholas. And that's it for today's show. Uh, we will have a show Monday. We might have a special guest. My producer is not doing his job very well. That's me. But um, we'll do Tuesday afternoons. We're going to do the live show again. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll have Nick on next week with a, a hot horse or two. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>